Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is Puka once again joined by Ryan Aho and Bert Lehman. Well, the 14th annual Kaiser Manufacturing Wild West shootout down in Phoenix is underway, and we'll tell you who's hot and who's not. The World Racing Group announced last week the enforcement of the Droop Rule for the World of Outlaw Late Model Series. Ryan Aho will try to explain the rule to us non racers, and he'll try to make some sense of it. The Chili Bowl Nationals just kicked off uh, literally tonight, so we will review the 34th edition. And with that, uh, welcome on board, fellas. I suppose both of you are feeling uh, emotionally drained after, you know, a big weekend of playoff football. (laughs) Well, both of us might not have a voice left after the weekend, and mine is because I was yelling at the TV because my team was not performing very well, and Bert was yelling at the TV because his team is going to the NFC championship game. But, you know, I got to be honest, I'm not that upset about it. Um, I, I think uh, nobody really expected the Vikings to go down to, to uh, New Orleans and win down there. So I was happy they got a playoff win. And it's really tough. I mean, it's tough to win back-to-back games in the NFL, really tough to win back-to-back playoff games. And when you get when you get road playoff games against the one seed, it gets even tougher. And I think the Vikings found out the San Francisco 49ers were the one seed for a reason. They put a beat down on both the Vikings and the Packers this year. Unfortunately, ours was in the playoffs. And, you know, uh, I you know a little bit of me is a little bit upset because I don't think our offense was prepared. Um, because Stefanski, he got hired by the Browns as a head coach less than 24 hours after their loss. So as a fan, I got to sit back and wonder, where was their head, right? You know, was was he thinking, you know, towards that game, or was he was he thinking, man, I just, you know, I just signed a contract for several million dollars here, and uh, I just changed my life. So a person has to wonder if they were properly prepared. And you know, hats off to Bert. You know, Bert's a big, big Packers Wisconsin. Uh, so congratulations, Bert, your team moving on to the NFC Championship with a chance to go to the Super Bowl and maybe a repeat of Super Bowl one, Chiefs versus Packers. That could maybe happen again. So, Bert, uh, what's your thoughts on the weekend? Well, uh, it was a good weekend uh, to be a Packer fan, obviously. Um, they started off the game really well. The second half uh, got a little nervous there. And then, uh, and obviously, there's always a uh, controversy with the refs first. It was in the first half with the uh, fumble. Yeah, it was a fumble, but there's no clear uh, recovery. And then uh, the first down by Jimmy Graham where the yellow line marker was up further than where the first down actually was. So if you're watching it on TV, it may not have looked like he had a first down, but if you actually looked where the yellow line, that's why they always say the yellow line is not official. And, uh, but, no, it, it's good to be going back to the NFC Championship game. Uh, I guess I didn't realize that uh, this will be the third championship game for the Packers in the last six years. They've had some down years the last couple of years. So uh, it, it's easy to forget how successful they were, um, you know, prior to that, even though they lost both of those championship games. <laughs> they should have well, beat, got... they, they beat <laughs> Seattle in that one, though. I, I tell you, that was – as a Vikings fan, that was exciting stuff right there. You know, I, I literally, I was about ready to give up. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, I, the Packers are going to the Super Bowl. I was just frustrated. And here, out of nowhere, here comes uh, here comes Seattle in, in dramatic fashion. Now, 
that kind of brings me to one of the other games. I guess I'd rather be a Vikings fan than a Texans fan. You know, the Texans fans, after being up 24 to nothing on the Chiefs, they had to have been sitting there going, man, you know, we're, we're going to the AFC Championship. I mean, if you had a 24-point lead in the NFL, it is usually all over. And from that point forward, once the second quarter hit, the Chiefs decided, hey, yeah, I think we're actually going to play this game. Let's actually try. And 51-31 to 31, um, just absolutely lit up the Texans after that. And was it one of those championship games, Bert, against the Niners that they lost? The Packers? No. Yeah. They lost they... Um, to Seattle, and then they lost to um, um, Atlanta. Okay, so that must have been either a divisional round or a yes. wild card round. And uh, that was the only time that I can say ever in my entire life that I can say that I was a Colin Kaepernick fan. Um, because I remember he just lit up you guys. I think he had like a whole bunch of yards. I think he had a bunch of yards running. And yep. that was the only time that I ever actually liked that guy. So there, I'm, I'm a historian at heart. So the his, the history of, you know, a repeat of Super Bowl one would be great for the sport. As a Vikings fan, I'm like, go Niners. <laughs> well, that's a great antidote, Ryan, to know uh, what happened in Super Bowl one. I had no clue. So, um that's a great stat. And, uh, well, yeah, best wishes uh, the rest of the way for you, Bert. And, Ryan, like I said, sorry, your team is uh, on the golf course now, but uh, they're possibly enjoying it. So, <laughs> well, not in Minnesota. They have to fly, you know, fly to Florida. Or maybe they're down in Arizona. Well, where are we going to talk right. next? Maybe they're down in Phoenix. Yeah, that, I bet you some of them are. So, yeah, let's let's shift our gears. Let's talk some racing, and we'll, we'll move down to, to Arizona. I know, Bert, uh, you were talking a little bit about Cocoa Pop. You know, before we even get into the Wild West, why don't you talk about that? I know you you know some guys down there. Yeah, well, I, uh, Troy Jerovitz, uh, he used to live in northeast Wisconsin. He lives in Iowa now, uh, but he races in the IMCA stock car division, and he won the IMCA stock car feature the first night down at the Winter Nationals at Cocopa Speedway. Uh, so it's, it's good to see, uh, you know, somebody that used to live in the area be successful down there. And then I also wanted to mention that uh, – Ricky Thornton Jr., who's mostly known for his uh, modified driving skills, uh, he won the IMCA feature one of the nights down there before traveling over to the Wild West Shootout, where he's racing a late model and was actually having actually had some good runs in the late model, finishing third and twelfth in in the features there, and and was actually leading one of the features until he jumped the cushion. Yeah, he's a wheel man, you know, noted obviously for his modified racing, but he's going to transition well into the late models. Um, had a good, has, is having a good start there. Troy, I think Troy does shocks. I think I have him on, on Facebook. Yes. He's a shock yes. guy as well. And I want to give a shout out to a guy that was down at Cocopa as well. Um, a local guy from up here in, and he's actually from Brainerd, Minnesota, Tim Gonska. You know, typically you see people traveling down, you know, to them southern races in the winter with modifieds or late models this guy brought down he raced in the hobby stocks the i am stay hobby stocks down there and what a weekend man he got second the first night he got first on the second night and he got third on the third night so three top threes for tim so just a, a great way to break up the winter here go down have some great runs hats off to him and you know i'm not sure where, where he's going from there but it's, it's pretty cool to see a northern guy go down there and, get, and uh, be able to run really well 
Yeah, fellas, great. Well, yeah, like we were saying, uh, you know, a lot of race teams have moved over from New Mexico, at least late on the late model side, over to Arizona Speedway. And, you know, they'll be racing six nights. They completed two nights of racing already on Saturday night and Sunday night. And at least on the on the late model portion, uh, Brian Shirley took home the victory on Saturday night, followed by Frank Hackenass Jr. and then Ricky Thornton Jr. And on uh, Sunday night, uh, Bishop, Brandon Shepard, was the victor over Ricky Weiss and Bobby Pierce. So that was just kind of got our weekend rolling. Uh, Brian, I know you have some details on some of the Wazota guys and kind of how they did. Yeah, you know, the late the late model guys down there, we, we had a couple. I know that Don Shaw lost a couple engines, but he actually won a heat race down there. Started on the pole uh, last night in the A-Main, which would be Sunday night. Um, I'm not sure if he broke something or, or what happened. I believe he DNF'd after that, but he ran pretty well. But as always, the open wheels are dominated. I mean, the, especially the Midwest mods. But the the modifieds and the Midwest mods, we have some guys from up here, you know, in the in the I guess upper Midwest, the Dakotas, Manitoba, uh, Minnesota, that are running really well down there, you know. And I'll start with the A mods. Um, USRA regular runs at Mississippi Thunder, runs over at Deer Creek. Lucas Shot, man, he is off to a fantastic start, winning night one, and he got second on night two, leading the points in the mods. Uh, Dustin Strand. He racked off a, a third and a fourth, so he's sitting right there. Dustin's a phenomenal race car driver, usually runs a late model up at the River City Speedway, but that kid's won in everything. Um, and then another guy that uh, that won TPO, Tyler Peterson, he racked off a fourth on the first night. And uh, Matt Gilbertson, he actually got a top five there last night. So that's a little bit on the A-mod side, but the B-mods have been extremely dominated 100% by the Wasota cars. In fact, Cole Searing, um, he won the whole series in 18 and 19, and uh, he's off to a pretty rough start down there. Uh, I know he got seventh on night one. Um, he didn't make the show. I don't know what happened or if he broke or what happened, but he didn't make the show on Sunday. But um, Brock Grunwald uh, continuing his winning ways over the winter. He won night one down there. Lance Schill, he got second the first night, third the second night. So he's leading the points in the Midwest mods. Skeeter Esty racked off a third on the first night, and he came from 18th to 6th on the second night. So a strong run for him. And uh, Grant Hall from Manitoba, he ran very well. I think he got up in the top five. And I saw some highlights from that first night feature between Grunwald, Schill, and Skeeter Esty. Man, that was a good race. I mean, them guys were dicing, battling, and, uh, you know, just uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see how the rest of the week goes. But, you know, I'm a huge supporter of our guys up here. Great to see them having success down there. I know Trevor Anderson had a good run. I think he advanced about 12 positions on on one night. So great to see him. He's from out in uh, uh, Watertown, South Dakota. Another good driver from over in the South Dakota, Wasota region over there. But just super excited to see them, you know, have uh, finished this deal off strong. Um, they've always supported us very well down there. Um, there's a lot of bars that are that are playing this race down there, getting people in, supporting our sponsors, and you know, excited to excited to see how it all turns out. So um, I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, booyah to all the Wazota drivers down there. Uh, you're really representing us well. I know Don Shaw on, on uh, Sunday night, last night, he led about seven laps and then ended up exiting the field at about the halfway point, but he looked strong. But, uh, you know, he had some great cars up front, like I said, like D-Shep, Bobby Pierce, uh, Burkhofer was in the mix there for a while. So, uh, Bert, 
uh, your reflection so far on the Wild West shootout? Well, uh, it's been some good hard racing down there. I have to give a shout out to uh, Mitch McGrath. He's from the Milwaukee area. Uh, he's made, he made the trip down there in the late model and he finished uh, 15th in one of the features and 22nd in the other feature, um, you know, may not sound like great finishes, but just making the show is an accomplishment and being able to race against some of the best in the business. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's learning a lot down there. And, uh, I also noticed on Facebook this morning that the keyboard warriors were out in force, uh, commenting on an incident on track incident between uh ricky thornton jr and jimmy mars um so it's always uh interesting to read the comments and especially when you know some of the comments are from people who have never been behind the wheel of a race car and have absolutely no idea what it's like but uh that's the way it goes with with uh keyboard warriors (laughs) (laughs) you know some of them guys may not have raced, but they did stay in a Holiday Inn Express, so that does make them an expert. Um, but but you're right, Jimmy, uh, not off to a great start down there, uh, not not really running strong, being talked about. Fans are passionate. It just is what it is. No different than any sport. Fans are passionate. and You know, as a race car driver, I looked at that incident. I watched it a few different times to try to figure out how I would have called it, and I, I just got to say, it's two drivers that are highly competitive. Neither one of them gave each other an inch. It could have been avoided by either one of them, um, but it was it was a racing deal, and it created a little bit of excitement. It created a little bit of a buzz, and, and that that's just part of the sport. Well, let's talk about Jimmy Mars for a second. You know, I mean, let me ask you this question, and I guess, Bert, you can go first. Outside of Wazoda, will Jimmy Mars win a race this year? Um, I will say no. I agree. Ryan, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I think it all depends. I mean, what do you consider out of Wasoda? I mean, well, you know, right. there's, you know, there's, you know, they got the dirt King stuff, you know, maybe he'll fall into one of those and win one of those races. Do I think he's going to win a world of outlaw race or a Lucas oil race? I, I don't, I would love to see it. I mean, the guys won a ton of races, but you know, I guess you can't ever count him out. Maybe he'll get back in the swing, but I think it's been so long since he's really been all in on racing, and and I just think he's a step behind the the guys like B. Shep and and Ricky Weiss and Madden and and Bloomquist and all those guys. I think he's just a you know a step or two behind those guys, and uh, you know it's you know he's kind of coming to the really kind of coming towards the end of his career as kids racing now. And, you know, they're very focused on building cars and running a business. And so, man, as far as him winning a, one of the big, big races, I, I personally, I don't see it. Um, and, I'd love to see it, but you know, I guess that's why they race the race. And just to clarify my answer, that's what I meant. I don't think he's going to win a Lucas or a Lucas race or a world of outlaw race. Uh, I, I would love to see it happen. Um, I guess, you know, maybe uh, the USA Nationals, you know, it's at Cedar Lake, uh, you know, that would be a, a sweet victory. Uh, but one thing about Mars, too, is, uh, you know, you mentioned all his business endeavors and his sun racing. Uh, I did a story about AJ Demo for Dirt, uh, Dirt Monthly magazine a, a few years ago, and I interviewed Jimmy Mars for that article because AJ works for Jimmy. And Jimmy told me at that time that 
once he, he doesn't plan on racing in his 50s. So he's got to be within a year or so of 50. So we'll see if he holds true to that or not. Oh, that's very interesting. And yeah, I mean, even Demo, you bring up the name Demo. Like I, I would, I would bet on Demo winning. Uh, you know, basically, I was, I was, I guess, what I was referring to was outside of that red Wizzota car that that Jimmy races. You know, would he, would he win a race? And and you know, whether it's Summer Nationals or even the Dirt Kings, um, yeah, I guess maybe he'd snag a Dirt Kings. But I, I, I would probably put my money that the the odds of AJ winning a race are better than than Jimmy winning a race. I, I would agree. Now, with that said, there, there's. There's some World of Outlaw races coming up that are in an area that he's familiar with, right? You know, there's a World of Outlaw race at the Grand Rapids Speedway, which is a small little bullring. He could be good there. Of course, there's a there's one right at his home track. Um, if he's going to win a race, if it's going to be a World of Outlaw race, I would say one of his best shots is going to be to win it at the Red Cedar Speedway in Menominee. Yeah, and one thing he's got in his corner this year is 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 Kay Dillard. Now, obviously, Cade, uh, he's off to a rough start there in Arizona. He's, you know, he came out, had a lot of momentum coming out of New Mexico, and he, DN, he has DNF both nights in Phoenix so far. But, you know, he's in that MB Custom, and, you know, if he's going to be on the road, you know, he's going to kind of be the R&D guy. You know, he may be figuring things out before some of those guys at the bar shop figure things out just because he's going to be doing so much more racing. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with Jimmy. And another guy that seems to be struggling down there is Earl Pearson. He had a 15th place finish on the first night and an 18th place finish on uh, Sunday night. So I guess the same question to both you guys. You know, Earl's off to a slow start. Is Earl going to be a guy towards the front this year? I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry about him too much. I mean, it's just the beginning of the season. Uh, I would imagine he'll – He'll be up near the front this year. I, 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 I can see him getting uh, a lot of decent runs in there, but I just don't see him as the guy that's going to be the guy to beat, right? I think he's going to be that consistent guy that, you know, finishes up in the top five a lot of nights. But, but I, again, I think he's a guy that is just off the pace just a little bit. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, you know, but I, I just don't see him as, as the guy to beat. All right. Well, my final thoughts kind of on the Wild West shootout. My father-in-law is there. He said uh, the races have been starting on time at 430 and wrapping up at 830. So all of you promoters out there that are tuned in uh, for our program, everyone seems to be happy. So uh, note that for the upcoming racing season. Uh, There was a couple of no-shows, you know, uh, of course, Chris Madden is not there. Well, we talked about Rick Eckert a little bit last week. He did not make the trip. And of course, Bloomquist is not there. Uh, what do you guys think the odds are that Bloomquist uh, went under the knife last week or maybe possibly even today to get that hip replacement? You know, I've been kind of watching the watching the news feed for that a little bit to see if that happened. I know that's supposed to be coming up soon. I, I know, he, from what I understand, he had that surgery scheduled. So, I, you know, I, I guess I'm not sure when it is. Hopefully it goes smoothly for him, of course. And in this race, you know, it's kind of unique, right? You know, it's not it's a non-sanctioned showdown there for the late models. So you get a lot of guys that, you know, that stayed over from Vado. You know, but I, I noticed, isn't Brandon Shepard running a five car? Is he running somebody else's car down there? I'm not sure. Yeah, he's running a B5. So I don't know if that's his own equipment or racing it, for somebody else. 
Yeah, exactly. That's his car. So yeah, he's he was always the B five before he was in the in the you know Richards ride. So yeah, he's he's racing his own equipment down there. But yeah, that is interesting. That yeah, he did a little flip flop there for whatever reason <laughs> because he was in the number one car last week. <laughs> yeah, my guess on that, plain and simple, would be that you know Mark Richards says, hey, our our number one focus is winning you know the World of Outlaw title. So we're not going to go use up our equipment down here just to have fun. If you want to run that show, by all means, run your own stuff. And that that would be my guess on how that all transpired. You know, hey, if you want to go race, have fun. We've got nothing else going on. Go, you know, go do it. But uh, we're going to save our equipment for the races that matter for the championship. Yeah, and one final thought on the Wild West shootout is a name that came across uh, the three of us, I guess it would be, you know, during – uh, the race at the Dome was Blair Nordruft. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And he was kind of from our area, from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And he was, I said, a guy I had not heard of until the Dome. And I know he qualified uh, at the Dome. And he, he uh, you know, kind of made a little bit of a name for himself. And then he went down to Vado. He did not qualify. But he did qualify in Phoenix on Saturday night. And so I happened to look the youngster up. Uh, he runs a black diamond car. And he's only 18 years old. So, uh, possibly a you know a bright future for another late model driver from our area, Ryan. Yeah, I'm excited about that. You know, young kid, he's he's not posting big numbers down there. You know, he's not winning races, he's, but what he's gaining is experience. See, you're only as good as the people you race against, and it doesn't get any better than racing against the people at Gateway at at Vado and of course down here, I mean, you, you got the best of the best. There's some very talented drivers down there. So the one thing he's gaining is experience and it's going to be fun to follow his career, especially, you know, see how he gets off to a start in his area this year, see how the summer progresses because he's going to take a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience he gained. And I want to see if he can take that, put it to good use and get off to a fast start at home. So I'm going to be super excited for that. And, it's always fun uh, following them youngsters. You know, you get an 18 year old, you know, running a late model from kind of from our area, you know, it'll be kind of follow him and I, I wish him the best. All right. Anything else on the shootout uh, down South Bert? Uh, no, I don't have anything else to add. Um, you know, it, what the highlights that I've seen, it's been a good hard racing and it seems like that track has a pretty good cushion on it. Yeah, like I said, I was there last year. Unfortunately, didn't get to see any racing, but uh, it does, you know, it's like it's got nice banking. And, yeah, I agree. The the racing looks fantastic. And, like I said, my father-in-law has been very, very happy. And, uh, like I said, Ryan, your father will be down there this week with my father. So we'll get some more inside knowledge for next week's pod. How's that sound? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I, we'll, we'll, we'll see what their perspective is all about. That'll be interesting all on, all on itself. <laughs> all right, fellas. Well, topic two tonight, the Droop Rule. Uh, was announced for the World of Outlaw Late Model Series this week. Obviously, you listeners know I've never sat, well, I shouldn't say never. I actually have raced just a tad bit, uh, but not enough to know much about rules and much about drooping. So luckily, we have our ace in the hole, Ryan Aho. Ryan, can you shed some light on this and maybe for us non-racers kind of make some sense of what this rule is, what the point of the rule is, and kind of where we go from here? (laughs) Well, the first thing I'm going to say is it makes no sense. Right. I mean, it is absolutely terrible that they went ahead and made the decision that they're going to do it. And I'll tell you why in a second. But first, I'll talk a little bit about what the droop rule is. So for 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 late model modified for for enthusiasts, you can see. Remember back in the 90s, 
late models and modifies, they were flat, right? The cars didn't hike up. They were flat. They looked like a slot car going around the racetrack. And then all of a sudden, it kind of had the left front was up in the ground and are up in the air, right? Leave the left front at home. And then over the past several years now, the left rears are really rocking up, right? And the reason the left rears rock up is that's adding traction. As the car hikes up, it adds traction. It, you know, dynamically, it, it changes bar angles, J-bar angles, slides your end to the left. It, you know, it does a lot of different things. Plus, it gets the, the deck in the air, the spoiler in the air. It does a lot of different things. And and do I agree that, that there needs to be a limit on that? Of course I do. I mean, there needs to be a limit to some extent on that. That's probably a good thing overall. But what I have a problem with is every single rule, whatever it is, it costs money, right? It's, it's going to cost money because when you limit how much they can rock up, and let's say if, if you limit it by an inch of what they're rocking up, now, now everybody's got to change a ton of different stuff to get the same amount of traction that they had. So that's going to be a cost. That's going to, that's going to hurt on the pocketbooks of racers, whether it's buying parts or, or just testing, figuring that out. Now it's going to be an advantage for some of the teams out there that have more cars, more knowledge, more drivers, more money. It's going to be an advantage to them. And I talked to a couple, you know, very, very high end late model racers. And they said, Hey, keep, just keep my name down, right? I, they don't. They don't want. They, they said they don't want to be involved in the drama, but they're not happy. They said this is absolutely terrible. You know, it, it's there's no reason to do this. And one of them even went on to kind of point fingers a little bit, and you know, just kind of saying, you know, hey, you know, I think Mark Richards had something to do with this because he's trying to slow down the Bloomquist camp. That, that's kind of one of the things out there right now. Is it's kind of a rocket versus versus Bloomquist deal. And, and so I, I don't know all the drama, all the facts. That's just one of my sources told me that. And the other thing that it's going to affect is this. You know, if they're the only – now, Ray Cook, his series, they did this first, and, and he liked it. So then World of Outlaws did it. But if they're the only two series in the whole country doing this, that's a problem, right? Because now you got Lucas Oil did not make this rule change. Wissota did not make this rule change. UMP did not make this rule change. So now when, when the world of outlaw comes to town, wherever that may be, how is that going to affect their local drivers? Because the local drivers are going to have two choices. Number one is going to be, well, if we need to, you know, if we need to be within that spec, and they, some of them don't even know where they're at because they've never measured it before because it's never been a rule. So some of them it may not affect because maybe the cars don't hike up that high anyway. But for the folks that do have cars that rock up on the left rear, if they have to limit that, well, now in their mind they're going to be like, well, I ran my car this way all year. I'm just not even going to go, right? Because if i got to like make a complete change to my car, take away traction, now I'm at a disadvantage, why even show up? And then some of the folks are going to show up, but they're going to be – out to lunch if they've never ran it that way. So I'm worried that this is going to affect car counts. And is the world of outlaws going to just say, well, hey, if you're a Wissota car, run your Wissota rules, that's fine? Or are some of the world of outlaw late model drivers going to say, well, this is ridiculous. If the, if the rule's good for them, it's good for us, right? So we got to all be on the same page. So if they're going to do it, that's fine. But all sanctioning bodies need to be on the same page. And if they're not all on the same page, then they should have tabled this 
and says, all right, this is something for us to all collectively decide together. Lucas, World of Outlaws, and everybody in between on the regional side of things and say, all right, maybe this is something to look at for 2021, but if we're going to do it, let's all do it. And if we're not going to do it, let's not do it. You know, but let's let's just make it the same everywhere because that's going to be better for racing. And, and I really wish they would have been looking at that. Bert, your thoughts and feelings? Well, I mean, I agree with Ryan, you know, that, you know, I hope that this doesn't affect car counts. And, you know, if you're going to do the rule, I don't understand the timing of the rule. You know, why didn't they announce this more in the quote unquote off season, you know, and, and give the drivers the opportunity to, uh, you know, figure some things out. And I mean, I don't know if this goes along with, I, I think I said this on a previous podcast that I had heard from different people that the reason Lucas oil series has more of the bigger name drivers in the world of outlaw series is that Lucas is more lenient on the rules. And I don't know if this is, you know, case in point, uh, you know, that of world of outlaws making the drivers do more um, rule wise. And, you know, I, I saw uh, Jonathan Davenport tweet about, you know, the need for the sanctioning bodies to come up with one set of rules rather than, you know, he, and he made a good point. They tried doing different rules for different series in the asphalt where asphalt racing world. And look how that's turned out. Yeah, you're exactly right, Bert. And, and, and that's the thing is, you know, and, and I don't know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff with world of outlaws versus Lucas oil, but the drivers that I talked to, they said, well, Lucas oil ain't going to change this. So, so, I don't know this to be fact, but on the outside looking in, it appears to me that the Lucas Oil, the people in charge of making the rules there, they talk to their drivers and they kind of have a, a better relationship with their drivers. And it's appearing to me that the world of outlaws is just like, well, hey, this is what it is. Not that they didn't do any research, but it's like there's no there's no reason for it. So there might be something to that, and, and that's exactly it. I mean, you look at Modifieds it's different rules everywhere you go and that's just not a good deal you know they just need to get on the same page and uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that they can figure this deal out because i i don't see it as a good thing for the sport so great great insight there bert and uh puka we'll turn it back to you well yeah and just to circle back to what you kind of said ryan i you know and we've talked about this on a previous pod for those of you that are new listeners go back three four pods ago but you know mark richard yields a lot of power with the world racing group and you know whether it was whether because of that power is the reason that he's never left the world of outlaws to go to Lucas, or maybe he knew he had a chance of getting the power if he stuck with the series, but for whatever reason, you know, he does have a lot of power. And we talked about how he had the Bloomquist cars teched last year um, at the world 100, but you know, yeah, like you said, maybe, you know, he's got a Bloomquist chassis, you know, somewhere that, you know, that's how he knew about the door bar uh, circumference and diameter. So, you know, maybe with the, the teching and engineering they've got, they said, yeah, maybe these cars hike differently than a rock and all the other cars. So, um, like you said, maybe that is one thing where he's, you know, he's kind of using the bully pulpit just a little bit to, to enforce something to make things a little bit more competitive. And because it's the World Racing Group, you know, 
we we need to keep our eye out because the UMP Summer Nationals and all the UMP sanctioning for late models might end up with this rule. I suppose they're going to, you know, maybe they'll go through speed weeks and see how things are going, see how the teching's going, and then this might be widespread rate UMP. You know, if they if they do that, that would actually be good, right? You know, and, and I don't know exactly, you know, I, I talked to Jeff Provenzino, who's a Wasota late model driver, builds, builds the 28 special race cars, and he's like, Ryan, I've never measured it that way. Like, I, I don't even know where I'm at. He goes, so, you know, I he goes, so I don't think most guys even know how far their car hikes up at that certain measurement, right? So with that said, it'll be interesting to see once the UMP guys, the Wasota guys, once they get all their cars together, you know, several of them are actually going to take that measurement just to see where they fit in. And, and uh, if they happen to be really close to that number, then it ain't a big deal. If, if they're really close to that number, it ain't a big deal. They'll just get back down to that number. And and then I can see all these different sanctioning bodies implementing that rule. I think if everybody did it, it probably would be a good thing. But I think that's something they need to work on. If they're going to implement that, they need to do it right now. Because if they start implementing that stuff partway into a racing season, that is just a disaster. They can't be doing that. Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on this because I think it's, uh, you know, like I said, to be continued. And I, I do feel bad for, like you said, some of these local guys, regional guys that, you know, might only race a handful of, of woo races and, and now they might just take them right off the schedule, which, of course, hurts us fans. So we'll see what happens. But another thing happening that we know for sure that is happening is the 34th annual Lucas Oil Chili Bowl Nationals will be starting tonight on monday night today we are recording on a monday so christopher bell has won the past three championships uh, we've got a list here of some of the notables that are entering and those names include kyle larson sammy swindell brad sweet jj yaley ryan newman t-mac tim mccready donnie shots darren Pittman, david gravel and of course christopher bell there to try to get his fourth championship in a row rico is a once again in attendance and ryan a guy we need to key on that I found on the list, Mark Chisholm. Not because we know who Mark Chisholm is. Mark is from Cheyenne, Wyoming, but I was born in Chisholm, lived in Chisholm. You also lived in Chisholm, so we're automatically cheering for Mark Chisholm, aren't we? Absolutely. Uh, you know, that, that that goes without question. Nobody else matters. That's our guy right there. <laughs> <laughs> Bert, uh, your thoughts on the upcoming Chili Bowl, Chili Bowl who to watch? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, you know, Christopher Bell is looking for his fourth straight and, uh, uh, you know, they're, his uh, NASCAR people are letting him race. So that's a good thing. Um, I saw that as of January 13th, there were 340 teams registered for the event. So, I mean, that, we were kind of talking about car count or car counts in a previous podcast. You know, that's quite a car count for this event. Uh, but I would look out for Kyle Larson because he's always one for he wants to put races, milestone races on his resume. And this is one that has eluded him so far. So I would look out for him. How about you, Ryan? What's your thoughts down in Tulsa? Well, I know this started in 1987. What's crazy is there there was 52 cars at, at the first event, which you know, you get 52 cars at an inaugural event back then. That's a big deal. 
But to think what it's grown to, uh, there's right around 350 entries down there, right around that number. So, I mean, that it has grown immensely. And uh, looking back, I mean, the first race paid four grand to win. And now it's it's right around that 10000 to win, which still isn't a huge number. Now, it's a pretty nice paycheck, right? But the fact of the matter is it's not like one of those fifty grand to win, hundred grand to wins. It's not like that. You know, the, the Golden Driller Trophy is kind of like a iconic trophy. It's one of the unique trophies in all of dirt racing. And, you know, I think they're, they're going down for the notoriety because I don't think it pays very deep either. You know, you look at 10000 to win, and I don't think it pays all that great. Most people don't go down there to make money. In fact, if you're in racing to make money, you're sadly mistaken. If you're, <laughs> if you're a racer and you don't understand that already, um, that's just math, okay? You just need to you just need to get that. But, but the fact is, you know, it's an exciting show. I mean, they pack the place in there. Um, I talked to – I have several friends that are down there. Um, I got, you know, Rob Cahoe. He went down there last year, and Rob Cahoe Jr. has been down. You know, uh, the old the old man, Rocket Rob, he actually rolled over down there last year. I'm like, dude, you're, like, way too old to be rolling over a midget. What are you doing? And, uh, you know, so it's, it's a it's a unique event, and, you know, just it'll, it'll be fun to see how it all plays out. And I agree with Bert. It'd be cool to see Kyle Larson sneak in a win. But I'd like to see – I think it'd be really cool if some somebody that's not one of the notables, right? Somebody that just come out of nowhere and steal the thunder. I would love to see something like that to happen, and, and uh, I guess we'll find out at the end of the week. Have either of you watched the event in the last? I mean, I think the last time I watched it was about ten years ago. Have either of you watched it in uh, recent memory, recent history? Just the reason I'm asking is because obviously. The Dome was just three, four weeks ago. We saw rough, rough track conditions. We all say, hey, you know, this is a temporary track. This is what happens. Now, we know in Tulsa, as we talked about on last week's show, you know, they had those midgets out there and those little hornets, you know, going around doing their thing. And uh, what was that race called? Do you remember what we talked about last week, guys? I can't even remember. Yeah, that was, a, that was the Tulsa shootout. Yeah, the um, Tulsa shootout. Yeah. So they raced on the same this, service? Well, what makes this different? Is they don't they're not mandated to use certain the certain the dirt that in St. Louis at the Gateway it's like here's your material and you have to use this right and yes. there you know they they can they can bring in their own material they don't they don't have they're not you know handcuffed to certain material and they the track's not as rough as it is at Gateway it's not I mean they they get enough rollovers as it is with the midgets and things are like you know, Super Bowls, they start bouncing and they're going all over the place. I mean, they, that's one thing. They always get a ton of rollovers. I've not watched a whole event, but I've watched bits and pieces and parts of it. And in the tracks, nowhere near as rough as it was at Gateway. But I think a lot of that has to do with the material they're able to use. I would really like to see, you know, uh, I'd really like to see the guys down at Gateway, Gundakers, be able to pick the material they want to use and use that and i and that guy knows how to prepare a racetrack and i think i think they could put together a, a lot nicer surface at gateway if, if they weren't handcuffed like that yes you're right i, I forgot right. about that that and for uh you listeners that aren't aware at the dome the officials there uh have dirt that's mainly been used for supercross through the years and that's the uh, 
material that they have to have to use because they say that's what works with their vent. The, the dust that that gives off is the kind of dust that works through their ventilation system and such. So yes, great point, Ryan. I, I forgot about uh, the picking and choosing of the dirt. Uh, any further comments uh, from you, Bert? Yeah, I mean, I've I've watched the chili the feature of the the main event for the chili bowl the last couple of years because they've they've actually shown that on Mav TV live the last few years. I don't know if they're doing that again this year or not. Uh, but yeah, the track at the Chili Bowl is much smoother than what what's at the Gateway. Can you imagine, Bert, how many rollovers they would there would be? I mean, they, <laughs> I don't know what the number is. I was trying to look that up. I couldn't find the number of how how many midgets roll over per year, but it's a lot. I mean, a lot. Of, there's a lot of rollovers. Can you imagine how many there'd be if the track was really rough? Holy cow! I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they'd even be able to get a lap in. <laughs> well you guys remember back when 10 years ago in t-mac you know when that uh what is the axle broke or something along those lines yeah, that's where up at the broke pillar neck, yeah broke, broke his, his neck broke his yeah i mean that was just oof that was a that one i mean even watching that now still just gives me the shiver that was that was a tough one so uh, well best wishes to everyone uh that's uh Going to go down to that little bull ring and, and take the challenge of doing the chili bowl and be and be safe to all you fans too as i said even t-mac that he wasn't too far uh, from catching some fans there as he as he kind of catapulted over the fence. Uh, the catch fence didn't provide a lot of protection uh, that night. So best wishes to everybody down in Tulsa. And now we'll move on to the last lap, which means we have one to go. Bert, we have news on Devin Moran. The 26-year-old from Dresden, Ohio, is back with TTR Racing, the team he raced for in the number nine car in both 2017 and 2018. So will this change his fortunes just a little bit for the 2020 season? Um, I hope so. Uh, he's going to be following the Lucas Oil Tour. And, uh, I mean, I, I got the chance to interview him probably five years ago or so when the Lucas Oil Series came to Northeast Wisconsin. And, I mean, he's a really, really nice guy, good interview. So, you know, I would like to see him have success. And uh, he's returning to to a team that he's raced for before. So he should be able to overcome some of the, the early gremlins of going to a new team uh, for whatever reason, you know, drivers don't last long in uh, the number one car anymore. And uh, hopefully uh, Devin's fortunes are better this year. Ryan Ogilvy and the United States modified touring series have gotten together. Uh, some big news this morning. You want to fill the listeners in on, on what's going to be happening here in August? Yeah, the Wegmans over there at the Big O, Ogilvy, Minnesota, they're putting together what's called Mod Wars, and uh, that is actually going to be August 13th through the 15th. USMTS is coming to town. It's going to be a triple header. I believe it's going to be a, a 1000 to win the first couple nights or something like that, but it's going to be a 10000 to win payday at the finale, and uh, very, very excited to see a big show. They got a great facility over there, great racetrack, great people. One thing I know about Ogilvy is everybody that I talk to that goes there, they don't talk about the track and this and that. They talk about how much fun they have. It's, it's a, it's a unique culture. It kind of reminds me of back in the '80s and '90s. Like everybody just has a blast. So it's great to see them putting on a big event. Now, what I'm going to watch for is this: is the USMTS boys are good. Well, let's, let's face it, so are the Wissota Mods. In fact, Dan Ebert won the USMTS show last year with the Wissota Modified. 
And Shane Sabrasky has also won a USMTS race with a Wasota Modified. So I tell you, that place gets really slippery. That place is really dry. Another guy that is very, very good there is Jody Belfi. Um, Clayton Wegman, he's very good there. So there's going to be some Wasota guys that can absolutely win that race with their Wasota cars against the USMTS. And it's going to be, I think that's part of the reason they're calling it Mod Wars, is because uh, the USMTS guys, when they come to town, I think they're they're starting to realize that they're not going to have a bunch of field fillers there with Wasota cars. They're going to have guys that they have to flat out compete against. So I'm, I'm very excited to see that show and to see how our, our Wasota guys fare um, in that big event. Bert, last week we talked a little bit about the shop towels, discount shop towels, Dirt King's tour schedule, and it sounds like there have already been some updates. So we had quite the discussion on, you know, some of the dates that weren't on the schedule, some of the tracks that were not on the schedule. Um, sounds like some updates have already been pushed out. Yeah, I mean, last week we had mentioned that uh, Seymour was added to the schedule uh, just before we went to, just before we recorded our podcast. Uh, since then, um, they have uh, juggled their their uh, schedule a little bit because Dirk Kings had a race scheduled in September that went that was scheduled against Seymour's uh, fall special. And at the fall special at Seymour, they have late models also, but they're not going to be Dirk King uh, sanctioned late models at that special. So what they they did, they rescheduled. They jumbled up the schedule, but what they did was they scheduled a race on August fourteenth uh, at Plymouth Dirt Track, and it's actually the highest paying Dirt Kings race in the eastern part of the state. I believe it's the highest paying one. It has the last couple of years, but that's the same night as the Mater Memorial race at at uh, in Menominee. So you know you're forcing fans to choose which event to go to. And, you know, if, if your goal is to bring some Western cars to the Eastern side of the state, the race in the big, some of the bigger specials, that's not going to happen. Well, Ryan, you've always said uh, promoters aren't always the smartest when it comes to working together. You have any comments on this? Uh, oh, man, scheduling I gotta be honest. It, it is so tough to, when, with all these different series is and all the specials and there's always something going on one of the biggest challenges probably the biggest challenge this time of year is putting a schedule together that works with everything else going on in the area it is it is just a nightmare sometimes and you know it it, it saddens me to see this Dwayne Mater is a good friend of mine back in the day I, ra- I actually got to race against him for a couple of years um, just a great guy. They have, I, th- I believe, this is the fourth annual Mater Fifty Five at the Red Cedar Speedway. You know, I, I love the Shop Towels series. I think that's a, the Dirt King series is a great series. But one of the things that makes that work is they that Dirt King series. They have a rules package that allows different sanctioning bodies to kind of fit in with their rules package, and they 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 get a bunch of Wasota guys that run some of them shows. And I just, I don't see anybody like your A.J. Demo, Pat Dorr, John Canta, Jimmy Mars, any of those guys going to Plymouth for that big paying show. And then on the flip side, you look at, you know, the Anvil Inks and, you know, or Nick Anvil Inc. And, you know, folks like him, they're certainly not going to come over to the Mater. It, it's, it's too bad, 
that they couldn't make this work to where they weren't competing against each other. But, you know, sometimes that's just the way it works out. And, you know, it's far enough across the state to where it's not a huge deal. But for fans that are in the middle there, you know, they're going to honestly look at that and say, oh, which way, where's the weather looking better? We're going to that one. Because it's going to be two good shows no matter which way they go. But as a racer, as a race fan, I'm like, man, you know, it just it, it sucks that they got to have them two shows on the same night. But uh, I'm helping the Grand Rapids Speedway, and, you know, we're working on things up there, looking at schedules. And every time that we, we put something on the schedule, then all of a sudden we find out this guy's got this going on and that track has this going on. And it's a challenge. So I'm not going to say it's an easy deal and if it's just a lack of communication. Sometimes there's just a lot more variables that, you know, us as fans and us as drivers don't realize they're there. So um, both shows are going to work out, and, you know, um, good to see uh, good to see things happening anyway that give the, the fans and the drivers some big purses and some big prize money to race for. And finally, the Red Cedar Speedway released its schedule here today. Uh, I guess, Ryan, we'll start with you. Or uh, Any surprises or anything that, uh, I mean, obviously we just talked about the Mater Memorial uh, we already know that there's going to be a World of Outlaw race uh, in July. Anything else uh, stick out yeah, to no you? Huge, yeah, no huge surprises. You know, the July 19th on a on a Sunday, they're going to be the fourth uh, night of a four-night swing through the region with the World of Outlaws. Um, August 14th, of course, is the Mater 55. And then September 24th to 26th is the 41st Annual Punky Manor Challenge of Champions, which is their their marquee event at the Red Cedar Speedway. Um, if you haven't seen it, um, jump on to Dirt Race Central for some highlights. And what a race that was last year. A.J. Demel looking like he's going to cruise to the victory. And out of nowhere, Mr. September himself, Jesse Glenn's uh, last lap pass to win that last year. So that was just a phenomenal finish. Probably the best finish, photo finish of, of, of the 2019 season. So that's a great event for one thing that kind of excites me over there is um, the Red Cedar Speedway actually signed a three-year deal with Dunn County and to extend their lease. And I've been on all sides of this. And this is another thing that race fans and a lot of drivers, they don't realize how big of a deal this is. Because as long as I've been going to the Red Cedar Speedway, and that was back in the 80s when Ron Jones drove for my dad, they were talking then about man, you know, this place ain't going to be here in another year. You know, it's right in the middle of town. You know, they're going to close in two years. That's been going on forever. So for them to extend that contract, it just gives them peace of mind. And, you know, all tracks that are tied in with a county or that have associations that are tied in with the city or the fair board, it seems like this is an ongoing thing every single year. In fact, uh, the track that I'm helping right now up in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, they had some drama you know, there were some things that went on there, and the fair board made a decision that, hey, I think what we're going to do is we're just going to not renew the lease. And they were looking at closing the Grand Rapids Speedway. And literally, within they were within a week of that meeting happening, and a new board took over. As soon as the new board took over, they called them up, and they said, oh, wow, you guys took over the track? Yeah, okay, well, we'll just scratch this off the agenda then. And uh, so it's, it's uh, this happens a lot. There's a lot of drama there, a lot of headache, a lot of stress. And uh, the fact that they have a three-year contract, that allows them to do some improvements to the place and do some different things without having to worry about if that's all going to go for not. So congratulations to the Red, uh, Red Cedar Speedway on 
um, continuing that and, you know, looking for some great racing to happen down there in Menominee, Wisconsin. Yeah, and unfortunately, Bird, out in your area, have you had some negative experiences with fairboards? Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, make the point to people who, you know, read stories about, you know, this track might close and, you know, them thinking, oh, that'll never happen. That track's been there forever. It's never going to close. Well, tracks do close. I mean, uh, we had two tracks in eastern Wisconsin, one in Manitowoc. Manitowoc was the first one to to close that was a county it was on county property and the county actually sold some of the some of the land uh to meyer grocery stores so they're building a grocery store on that property so it's not just you know uh, dealing with noise concerns with the residents the land has become so valuable in some of these areas that you know it you know if the county gets gets a uh, an offer they can't refuse, you know, they, they take that. And in this day and age of meeting budgets, you know, that's important for them. And then the Oshkosh Speed Zone also closed because uh, uh, they wanted to build a permanent stage for Life Fest, which is a one-time event, but it's such a big event at that, that uh, at the county fairgrounds that uh, they chose that over the racetrack. So racetracks do close on county property. You know, and, and this something right here, Bert, with what you touched on there, th- that's a fact of life, right? That's just the way it is. You know, racing's a business. Sometimes businesses close down. And this is for all you listeners out there, whether you're a racer, you're a promoter, you're a fan, doesn't matter what it is. What you got to understand is sometimes these tracks are tied in with a fair board, a county, and the fair board and county, guess what? They don't want drama, right? They don't want that. They, they, they want things to be, they like the money coming in, but if they got to deal with a whole bunch of drama, that's going to make their decision a lot easier. And I'll be honest, back when the 2020 page was a big deal 20 years ago or whatever, I was a keyboard warrior myself, you know, shedding some negativity on there. I think a lot of us have been. It just is what it is, especially as a passionate racer or fan. But the fact is, do what you can to be an ambassador of the sport, whether you're a driver a crew member, a worker at the track, a fan, it doesn't matter what it is. Man, it's one thing to have a little bit of negativity. Hey, this didn't go right. It is what it is, but we don't need to just beat the dead horse all the time. You know, there needs to be a lot more positive stuff on social media. There needs to be a positive buzz around town. When when somebody brings up the Speedway in your hometown, what people need to be doing is talking positive about it. You know, why are people not going to the racetrack? Well, why would they when all they hear is all the complaining about it all the time? That's why the fan counts are down. That's why car counts are down. And that's why tracks close down. So everybody involved with the support, the best thing you can do is when you start talking racing, talk about all the good things. And, and folks, we're all listening. You're listening to a racing podcast means you love racing. And that means that there's, you know there's a lot of good things. Talk about that. What is it you love about the sport? What is it that the sport is doing for your community? What has it done for the youth? What I mean, you talk about the good things, and that's going to get more people involved, keep tracks around longer, and it's going to make sure that closing racetracks doesn't happen. So I just wanted to make sure I got that out there because that's a huge deal that sometimes people just simply do not think about. Well, great point. Great point. And, uh, yeah, I agree. we gotta, you know, we got to get to stick together on this deal. Uh, you know, there's, you know, we, you can see there's not a whole lot of new racetracks opening up. And so we just can't be losing the existing ones. 
that we have. So, well, great job, guys. Uh, I, I got, I got else? one more thing. One more, yeah, one more thing, and we're a week away. And I know we're going to be touching on this. It's going to be our big topic. But we are literally a week away from my favorite time of the year, which is Speed Weeks down in Florida um, next Tuesday. Um, East Bay, East Bay Raceway Park um, down in Brandon, Florida, right by Tampa. They start off with the Modifieds down there, and uh, just super excited for Florida Speed Weeks. It's literally, it, it's honestly probably my favorite month of the year for dirt track racing. So really looking forward to that. All right, anything else, Bert? No, I mean, I, I agree with Ryan. Uh, speed, I've never been to Speed Weeks, but uh, it was always w- one of my dreams to go to Florida for for Speed Weeks, and it wasn't necessarily to watch the Daytona 500. <laughs> if you get the if you get the East Bay, it's worth going there just for strawberry shortcake. <laughs> hey, don't they have a race called the Strawberry Race, like a non qualifier Strawberry Race? Yes. Like yes. Yep, the yeah. Strawberry Dash. Yep, they had the <laughs> Strawberry Dash down there. <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, great job, and uh, you know, thank you, of course, to all the race fans uh, that have joined us tonight. And like Ryan said, next week we'll cover uh, some of the happenings down in Florida. We'll have continuing coverage of everything going on in Tulsa, and we'll also wrap up everything going on at the Wild West Shootout in Phoenix. So once again, thank you for joining us, and to all of us here at the Wonder Go Show, like we always say, be your dream. Thanks again for joining us, and you're tuned to the one to go show.